climate change and you know uh, we have been studying about it i don't know since school days right about this whole yeah. global warming whatever renewable energies you know all this this all these touchy topics but then i just yeah. wanted to know in the recent past what are some cool new things that have come up right so i just thought i'll you know discuss about that talk about whatever i learned recently yeah uh before before i'd like to interject uh before we get into the next part of this uh since you were talking about renewable energy and global warming and stuff have you watched algos the inconvenient truth oh no it's brilliant man uh so back in the day around 8th grade uh i was a big fan like i was just obsessed with uh global warming renewable energies and all this stuff okay and it was all because of this one movie uh it's like a documentary type thing by al gore who like ran for president back in the 90s against uh bush i think bush or clinton or whoever i think both and he lost both and uh, this was his biggest like uh campaigning thing so he's like oh no global warming's real and all that and mm. if you if any folks out there wants to get into like learning about global warming and everything you should definitely watch this because it's amazing and uh and like why because like you know i also wanted to be an environmental engineer because of this i was like no matter what i do maybe at one point in my future i want to do something for the environment okay yeah, i'm so glad you brought it up this like you know old memory of 8th grade yash just came up and i was like yeah damn holy shit i've not thought of that movie or thought of global warming for like a while so yeah yeah dude i think each of us have to do something in our capacity to be uh, to towards um the environment because you know we have trashed it left right and center and uh, yeah it's just so i was in bandipur recently mm-hmm. last couple of days mm-hmm. so bandipur is this forest um it's a national park actually and uh, i was so you go and you you get to do the safari okay in in the forest so you get to sit in a jeep and then they'll just take you around the forest so the whole forest is like a 1000 square kilometer forest out of that right. only like 80 square kilometers is allowed for you to roam around okay mm-hmm. and this is supposed to be a national park and national parks are, is like a very very uh, they are very highly protected by the government okay uh, so um when i went there for the safari i was seeing lace packets and plastic bottles oh. in the forest okay and you know what these guys tell like we are not allowed to carry plastic inside okay what right. they what happens is that so uh, the bandipur part of bandipur forest like the outskirts of the forest lies on the uh, mysore uti highway okay so right. people uh, and there are these wild animals there that you know kind of come towards the boundaries of that forest and they come towards the highway and people who are traveling on the highway they eat stuff they throw stuff out of their cars and buses and those animals pick that up and they like naively bring it back into the forest and that is how like it's you know just littered i i was able to see a good volume of it and as just like yeah. we have this is uh, this is unacceptable you know what's what i'm seeing i was surprised honestly too yeah definitely man uh it's really messed up how like especially dirty uh a lot of things are here in india and um and that and the fact that a lot of people just don't follow it yeah okay so uh, your... uh, yeah huh? good good 
No, yeah, no. Uh, another point that I like to mention is like you know I lived in Singapore, and where they had specific officers who focused on just the environment stuff, and they focused on littering, and they had these officers that would enforce it. So basically, they would dress up like with pedestrian clothes, and they would just be out there oh, in the public, nice. just roaming around, just sitting, and they would have a camera, also. Okay, and if you are found littering, it's a three hundred dollar fine. And he'll nice. literally come up to you. He's like, I saw you littering. Give me your government ID number. Okay, see you in court. This is the fine. If you want to see the video, I'll show you the video. Okay? Done. That's it. That's how they enforce it. And I don't yeah. know how, like, the Indian police will do this. Okay? They'll obviously be, like, extra uh, nonsense yeah. that'll, yeah. that'll they'll do. But uh, yeah. this is why we need, like, good law and order in a country. And Absolutely. and. Uh, I'm optimistic about India's future. Although India is a massive country, we are getting there where everything is becoming more centralized, more like organized, and you know the the building for the future. So hopefully they can build something around uh, all this stuff, like you know keeping it clean and enforcing good behavior, yeah. essentially, yeah. in people. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And um, yeah, I think to your point, each and every one of us has to do something. In our capacity towards uh, you know the environment and towards uh, earth in any way possible any way, any possible way we can yeah, so um, so yeah I thought maybe I'll talk about I found a couple of interesting things uh, maybe you'll uh, you like where uh, like how humanity is thinking right now in terms of uh, how to curb this problem uh, but I just want to, before I talk about what are the, some of the new things, I just want to give an overview of what the problem is, um, right? And what are some of the current implications that we are facing? And then I'll talk about some of the solutions that we're trying to build, right? So basically, um, the the problem is that we have, uh, so Earth has this layer, layer of gas, right? That surround, surrounds it. And then this layer of gas kind of, you know, prevents the heat that is uh, emitted back from the earth into the space from escaping to the space, right? It, and that is a very important factor. And that was that is one of the reasons, because we have an atmosphere, that is one of the reasons why life was able to grow on earth, right? We were able to have extremely stable temperatures and we were able to, like species, was, uh, the life was able to evolve, right? Um, and this temperature regulation happens because of certain gases and these gases are called as greenhouse gases. Right now, naturally, uh, greenhouse. There are several greenhouse gases, but five major. There are like five major out of which CO two and methane are the most popular greenhouse gases that basically everybody knows of: carbon dioxide and methane. Right, yeah. and the problem is that uh, we are emitting too much, too much of green these greenhouse gases, especially carbon dioxide, uh, into the atmosphere, and because of that, the heat is not able to escape into the outer space and because of that the temperature of the earth is increasing and hence the whole uh, and it's it's causing like a a lot of implications there are uh, it's a whiplash effect basically the moment you have temperatures rising your whole climate changes weather conditions change you have uh, you know you, you have your polar caps melting like you know plethora of issues the zombie virus comes out you know, there are certain tangible issues and then you have these bunch of intangible issues along with it as well, right? Um, so, so yeah, basically that's the problem, right? Uh, and one very interesting um, 
you know, implication of this that I was really amazed to, you know, hear. I don't know if you know about this, uh, but Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia, is is one of the fastest sinking cities of the world. Did you know that? Fastest sinking cities? Yeah. Sinking? Yeah. Like downwards? Yeah. Jakarta, okay. Yeah. So since 1991, Jakarta mm-hmm. has lost like more than four meters of the city and it's gone inside the ocean. And yeah. and and uh, by 2050, it is expected that about 40% of Jakarta would be underwater. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. And this is this is so this is such a severe problem that uh, the Indonesian government has decided that they can't have Jakarta as their capital anymore. And there is this other city which is called as Nusantara. And in 2024, August 2024, they are going to name Nusantara as the new capital of Indonesia. Oh, that's fascinating, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So basically, uh, why Jakarta was sinking is, um, I don't want to imply that it is happening because of climate change. Jakarta is sinking because of different reasons. Um, But the whole process of, you know, the sea level increasing because of this climate change is just uh, acting as a catalyst to the process, right? And what should have taken hundreds of years, 100 years is probably happening in like 50 or even lesser than that number of years, right? That's insane. Yeah. And then obviously we have this, um, so we have the whole zombie virus thing that I was telling, right? This is another <laughs> like weird implication of what ha- what could happen if um, if the global temperatures rise and if we, all, if we mess with the climate, basically. <laughs> There's also this um, super interesting thing that I was reading that in Greenland, it rained for the first time instead of snowing uh, this year in September 2022. Whew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so like, I mean, there's a lot of things happening, you know, uh, usually like even back in the day, people have been quite like the governments have been quite fast in responding to these catastrophes that have happened. Um, I don't know about, I don't know if you know this, but back in the day, uh, these air conditioners and refrigerators used to emit this, uh, certain gas, uh, CFCs, uh, chlorofluorocarbons essentially. Right. And it melted the ozone, the yeah. ozone layer, like quite substantially, like over the Arctic and uh, Antarctica, I suppose. And like they, they're like, okay, yeah, you know what? This is this is harmful. Let's ban it. Okay, it's pretty much how it went. And and then slowly over the years, I guess the oil companies or certain uh, lobbyists have like you know, kind of. Uh, you know, talked over and now, now basically you don't hear anything about global warming or anything. The last thing I I heard Greta Thunberg say was, uh, that thing to recycle the (laughs) pizza box. Yeah. Yeah, Recycle the pizza box. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't recycle pizza boxes. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Like, I just think that, um, it, it has a very negative, see, I think there are two reasons why, like, you know, we don't hear a lot about it. First of all, there is a big BT associated with it. At least I get like a major BT whenever I look at, so there are these documentaries that are there on Netflix that talk about, you know, cha- climate change and they talk about, you know, animals going extinct and stuff like that. And I, I'm just like, why? I don't even want to know about these things. I know it is happening, but I don't want to see it happening because it's so, 
um it's so aching to you know look at that look at that site of just like barren land which used to be like full of forest that's one reason maybe because there's a lot of negative sentiment attached to it the second thing why we don't hear about it is because there is no way for us to like measure what is going on like in your case when you said that the cfcs are banned now you and i will just there is no way for us to go and validate it right we'll just depend on someone else who's going to do the job for us like okay if he's saying it then that's probably what is going on but we don't know what is like happening actually on the ground right i mean there is there are some statistics at least uh i well yeah maybe the ozone thing is a little hard but like you know in the 2020 fires in australia what 1 billion animals died hmm. <laughs> 1 billion dude so, what was the reason because of this ozone hole? the australian uh, fire like there were these fires right oh right uh, right yeah Yeah, in the start of 2020, and oh, like, everyone was freaking out. The world is going to die. That yeah, was, was horrible, terrible. dude. Like uh, kangaroos and all. Like you, you remember those photos that just kangaroos that are just standing in like burning fire. So there is fire in the background, and they're just standing there because they have nowhere else to yeah. go. It's such a aching scene to watch. It was it was terrible. And yeah, yeah. At least like you know, if you want some quantifying data, it is going definitely going to be depressing. Yeah. Okay, and like now people have just gotten so used to stuff. Okay, if it if it's not ha- if nothing happens in a major way, they'll only talk about it for they barely won't talk about it. Okay, if something big like the Australian fire happened, they may they may talk about it for like what one week. Yeah. Until like maybe a new Kanye controversy comes out. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. People have this very short attention span on certain things. They're like they have the attention span of a cat sometimes. I'd like. No, I mean, like, look, think about it. All this uh, technology, all this ease of information, and yet we don't have any information about what's going on in reality, in like in terms of our planet and everything. Yeah, yeah. I would like, I would kind of like be a bit more of a. I'd have a dictator approach to this. I'd be like, everyone needs to consume. a certain percentage of their uh this thing about like real world events and something very accurate or those kind of things like yeah. about the environment or something like that i don't know or or just hear bad news in general yeah yeah, yeah. very few people watch the news now okay because they're like oh no news is bad <laughs> yeah no the the point is that uh, news is cluttered you know like we have so much information that the main ones get diluted like the what we need is kind of you know in the weed right in that big weed that we have to search through and that's a big pain in the neck so people are just like you know hey uh, i i'd rather not go through anything right yeah absolutely man absolutely but yeah continue you were you were speaking about the zombie thing Yeah, yeah. The so these are basically yeah these are like some of the implications that are happening i mean of course we have all this forest fires and change in weather temperatures all of that but i just thought these are some interesting implications you know like sinking city of jakarta and the zombie virus that's coming out and raining in greenland these are like real problems right yeah so uh there are so some solutions have been thought of i mean of course we have this whole um approach that some of the conventional approaches are you know let's use um, renewable sources of energy and let's um, one of the things that is coming up right now is carbon neutral right it's become this whole it's, it's a big thing yeah. a lot of companies are moving towards it and uh, you have to have that ESG if you have that ESG documentation then um, 
you know, you get that benefits from the government. It shows that you've done something towards environment and you've captured some of the carbon basically from the atmosphere and you're doing good to the ecosystem. So a lot of conventional solutions are there, but then I found a few interesting um, approaches that have been, that are in pipeline uh, or, and that are being tried out as well in certain parts of the world. If one of them is solar geoengineering. Have you heard of it? No. Um, so basically, uh, the idea with solar, this is an interesting approach. Uh, so basically what happens is when there's a volcano eruption that happens, there's this, you know, it's, it's the volcano just spits out a lot of, um, you know, sulfur particles and these particles just come out. It's a huge volume of dust and particles that go into the atmosphere. Right. And, um, this was first observed in 1997, if I'm getting the year right, uh, in Indonesia, where uh, an active volcano erupted and it just spit out so much of dust and smoke into the atmosphere mm. that that all, all the smoke went on top of the atmosphere and then it formed this blanket around um, the earth. And basically it would not allow the sun rays to go into the earth. Okay. And what they saw was 1998, like the following year was actually a few degrees cooler than the previous year. And they attributed to this particular phenomenon, right? So when they saw this, they're like, Hmm, this is interesting. You know, <laughs> we can do something with this. So basically solar geoengineering is this concept where planes and drones, they will fly very, very high above all the clouds and above everything almost towards the end of the atmosphere all these drones will go and they'll spit out a bunch of particles that will envelop the earth and they will just prevent any kind of you know excess solar radiation to go enter into the atmosphere to begin with right so uh, basically it forms this blanket and you prevent anything from entering at all so it's like a new form like a new layer of ozone type thing correct 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 that's crazy. Yeah. That's us. Yeah. What What do you think about it? I I don't know. It's a It's a good idea. Okay. Uh, it's It's the theory, like you know, uh, instead of reducing your expenses, increase your income. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe they're delaying the inevitable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Actually, that's a valid uh, point. You know, that that's one of the things that we had. That's a problem, right? I mean, basically you know, you're not trying to address the real problem. You're just trying to like work. I mean, the real problem is we should stop carbon emissions. Like imagine like an advanced civilization comes onto earth and they look at what we do. We dig the earth, we extract oil, and then we pollute our environment and like the place where we live just so that we can go from point A to point B or we can move things from point A to point B. Like they would be so disappointed. They'd be like, you know, what are these humans up to, man? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they call themselves intelligent, right? Like, basically, yeah. the problem is we should figure out new ways to create energy, right? And mm -hmm. uh, by uh, developing these kind of solutions, you just not, you know, you're not, you're not solving the real problem. And you're, like you said, you're just dodging the inevitable, right? And the later you take it, this is like an incentive for the companies to like not think of, ways to stop carbon emissions. They'd be like, oh, like anyway, Earth is not getting or not overheating. We might as well, you know, run business as usual. Right. And that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. 
Uh, so, uh, I do feel like, look, I, I see both ends, okay? When I was younger, I, I used to have this approach like, oh, why don't they just ban these cars? Or why don't we just get better catalytic, con- uh, catalytic converters? I think that's what they're called, right? Um, yeah, no, but... I mean, there is obviously policies and um, there's certain efforts that's going on, especially like certain co- countries that are trying to do carbon zero net, net carbon zero as their emissions. Uh, I think a few European countries are there, Finland maybe. Um, I know Bhutan is a carbon uh, neutral co- country. I think okay. it was always carbon neutral. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is there like, in Bhutan? <laughs> what is there in Bhutan? So, so the thing is, if you are carbon neutral, so you are outsourcing your, uh, uh, what call it, the emissions mm. essentially. Like, what, what's America done? Okay, the, their industrialization has gone down a little bit. Okay, because China is doing all the manufacturing and everything, so they're emitting a lot more over there. <laughs> it's right. just that that's how that's the trade off. Right. Yeah, man. Who knows? Maybe in the future, like you know, they have a space manufacturing center. Okay, mm. so all the things we just release it off in, on the moon or something. Mm. Yeah, dude, we should really have like some kind of a space. Uh, I don't know, garbage. What I've been like, I don't know, toying with this uh, since I was a kid. I've always been thinking like, why don't we just you know capture all the gases that we emit and like I don't know, make them into solid blocks in some sense, right? Convert them mm. into convert that gas into solid blocks and then just chuck them, right? Just throw them out of space. Why do we want to just let it, you know, linger around earth and like cause problems? I don't know. Maybe like whoever scientists, if y'all are listening to this, try considering that option, explore it. But, um, but yeah, man, I mean, that is solar geoengineering, right? That's a, uh, that it's, there are these, uh, there have been a lot of studies that have been carried out. This is actually driven by Harvard university so they are actively mm. working on you know making this happen but they are also facing a lot of resistance at the same time people are like you know you know hey if we do this no one's gonna people are just gonna do stuff as usual and you know that's just that's just bad for everybody right and they're also like um, if if um, you know a few years late we don't know what is the long-term impact of a solution like this right like imagine yeah. like if, if, if you're doing something locally it's okay. You can control it. You can, you know, somehow, uh, if you're deploying a solution for a very, very small control group of a uh, controlled, uh, locality or an area or a location, it's easy to curb it out. Right. If you do, if you decide you don't want it, but this is affecting globally. Right. So this is a big, big decision that needs to be taken. And people are like, you can't just like, you just spew particles in the air and be like, Hey, I'm doing good for the earth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there are so certain change, changes that I've seen, especially in India as well. Like uh, now we are no plastic. Like literally, I I don't I haven't touched a plastic bag in so long. I was mm. like, holy shit! When did that happen? I don't know whether that has given us a net positive, net negative, nothing of that sort. But we all knew like plastics were bad, right, for the environment, and you don't see any grocery store giving out plastic bags. They're actually giving. They made a business out of it, obviously. Like, you know, they're giving those 20 rupee uh, cloth bags or something like that. Okay. And uh, us as a family, we have at least like 10, like carry bags in the car, wherever we go. So like, you know, if you're buying groceries, we just take our own and we just keep reusing it. I, I won't lie. Okay. I have, uh, I have a bag from 2008 that we bought in 2008 and we still use that. We have Mm -hmm. at least two of them. Okay. 
so from Carrefour and uh, IKEA. Mm. Yeah. Dude, uh, I feel so weird when I touch a plastic cover right now. Like if someone gives it to me, I'll be like, no, no, what are you giving that to me for? I have my own, you know, bag and like just put it in this, you know. Yeah. Uh, one thing i would i would definitely say is inconvenient is the plastic straw to that cardboard straw i i hate oh yeah straw. <laughs> it just, just let me buy a metal one <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah i will give five bucks extra <laughs> dude you if you can clean a spoon you can clean a metal thingy about boy the straw straw yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know why they moved to paper. And that paper is not even good. I, they should fix something, dude. They should figure that shit out. That's too annoying. <laughs> yeah, did you did you see one of the Shark Tank pitches was a edible? Uh, you have your edible like crockery. You can eat your spoon later. Why? What will it's you eat with the of... next meal? Your hand <laughs> or something? You just you just use the new one. Oh. <laughs> You just use a, you buy a box of so it. This and is it's like this wafers. is like this is like roti, bro. This is roti for what? <laughs> roti is our spoon. <laughs> roti for white people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These guys are too like they're too slow to catch up. We have done this like we have been, we have bhaturees, we have puri, we have all types. <laughs> yeah. We have masala papad. Masala papad is roji, bro. You eat all and, those and vegetables have... without like doing anything to your fingers. <laughs> Nothing. Aram. Just. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're too slow. They should catch up. Indians, bro. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, dude. So that's with um, solar geoengineering. Do you like it? Do you think uh, we should do this? Definitely, at one point, if there is certain um, requirements for it, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, we should also look and make sure that there are no like negative impacts to it. Right. Okay, in the long run. Okay, yeah. because if you're like pumping out like sulfur and all these other chemicals into the thing, like anything non-natural is always has some repercussions to it, I feel. Yeah. Okay. I think we need to double down on like solar energy and uh, uh, your hydro, your windmills and those kind of things. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, down the road from Bangalore in Hosu, there's a big windmill manufacturing company or something. Because mm-hmm. whenever I d- uh, drive down the road, I just see these massive... Just like one one of the wings mm. of the windmill, just going by with this massive truck. So it's like mm. really really cool to see. Like you know, there are all these windmill farms. I think uh, from Coimbatore to Kochi, if you drive down, the, these windmill farms are there. Mm. Super nice. Yeah, I, Tamil Nadu has this um, one of the largest windmill farms in India, right? Oh wow, I I didn't know that. Yeah, there is uh, not getting the name of that farm, but yeah, it's pretty huge very huge okay that's sweet okay um one thing i like to know is like you know how much of this uh how much of the power consumed or how how much it has benefited tamil nadu in terms of power or how much of the power comes from that yeah okay if it's a substantial percentage that'd be great okay um i'd like to tell you about something um although it's not about energy consumption but it's about water okay so singapore has a water crunch. They import 60% of their water from Malaysia and mm. they want to bring it down. Mm. Okay. Because they're literally paying people for water. And uh, almost, I think, 20-30% of their water right now is renewed water. Okay. There's this company called New Water. N-E-U Water, I think. Uh, that's how you spell it. Or N-U Water. Okay. What they do is basically it's poop water. Like, you know, toilet water. 
Okay. And they take this water. Okay. They accumulate it in one like station and then they purify it. And the brilliant, the brilliant part is, okay. So uh, they, they were like, okay, so we need to get all this uh, drainage water to our, our like station. And they have put the pipe in a tilted way. Okay, so the gravity does most of the work. So it's a little bit more uh, energy efficient mm. over there. Okay, and then they have these uh, filters, you could say. So it filters out all the big chunks or like whatever plastic that's thrown in the water or whatever, whatever is there. At least all the physical stuff is gone like chandni, basically, like two, three layers of the, like, you know, they filter it out and then they like run it through UV, uh, this thing to kill all the viruses, bacteria and all that stuff. And there's a proper rigorous process through it. And then they uh, add nutrients and all that stuff to the water. Okay. And it has a little salty taste to it. But like they, like I went to the power plant. Uh, I went to their pl- plant once and it was great. It was really mm. cool to learn about this. How how uh, uh, how expensive is it? Like compared to like regular normal water that is being sold in Singapore? I, I think this is, no, this is just, this water is just being supplied to everyone. Oh. Like, okay. you know, yeah. So, so in Singapore, the tap water is drinkable. Mm. So I think this is the water that goes there. Mm. Uh, at least part of it, part of the water. Like a small percentage of the water is this uh, renewed water. Yeah, that's really okay. good. Some, some people were a little bit disgusted by like, they're like, oh, I don't want to drink this water. But I, fuck it. I Science, bitch. Yeah. I, I'm a drink. Yeah. Okay. But some Someone was telling me, I think um, yesterday in one of the, in the function that I had, I met this guy. He was telling me, uh, so he is a researcher uh, in University of Virginia, and uh, he is working on some kind of um, he's working on tech that can go into space. So basically, it's a NASA-funded project, and he's working on it. And what they are working, what they are testing on, is this thing called water pills. Okay, so these water pills are just these tiny capsules um, okay. that you can swallow, and that's going to keep you hydrated for the entire day. <laughs> Nice. I don't okay. know how the science of it works, but then uh-huh. basically the idea is that uh, if you're going to send astronauts to space, they, they have to carry like shit ton of water with them, right? Because they need uh. like seven or eight liters of water, but I don't know, whatever right. minimum required quantity is there of water. Right. They're just like, take these pills and go. And if you have to like do agriculture and all that in outer space, just use these high water pills, right? And Damn, just avoid cool. the payload, like reduce the payload, like by a huge fraction. Okay. I definitely feel that we should at least start off by using this in agriculture and maybe like, uh, utilize the deserts that's on, in, uh, on earth. Yeah. I think that would be a really good use case one. And then until they perfect and they make sure that there's no side effects and human, because, uh, like pharma has a lot of, uh, mm. I feel a lot of side effects and I'm not, uh, a big uh, pill guy. Mm. I'm not a big pill guy. Here's the thing, right? Like if, if we have to start using these new tech that is out there, it requires like a lot of, you know, FD approvals. There's like a very strict regime and protocol that needs to be followed before it is used publicly. But astronauts are like the, uh, they are ready to test. Like NASA always experiments all these things with astronauts. So they don't require special approvals and all. So that's why they try this out on those people. And if it works there, it's definitely going to work on Earth. Right? Like there are. Thank you, Neil Armstrong. Thank you. Thank you. Try the drugs for us. Yeah. I know you have no job after you went to the moon. 
<laughs> this is a good way to get paid. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, whatever happened to him, dude. <laughs> I think uh, the last thing I heard him say, he was against uh, SpaceX and he was like, oh, you, you shouldn't do this or something like that to Elon. And then there was this whole Elon interview where they like, cropped up a part of like Neil Armstrong and Neil Armstrong saying like, you know, it's a bad idea to all this. And like, you know, all the big, I don't know why. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they showed Elon Musk all emotional saying that like, you know, don't meet your heroes. You know, (laughs) you know, I've looked up to these guys since I was young, his eyes were tearing up and everything. So Uh, I think it was 60 minute, uh, like the show where he came on and this is right after his like what third try with SpaceX and it worked mm. where he put all his money and everything he needed on that last launch. Have you watched that documentary on Netflix? The entire thing? Yeah. No, no, no. You know what I'm talking about, right? The SpaceX thing. Yeah. 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 yeah it's good actually. Like you, it's a very feel good movie, uh, feel good yeah. documentary and he made it bro. That's like so inspiring man. And, uh, it's not a, it's a reusable thing. It comes down like this yeah. perfectly. It's it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like Peter Thiel says, don't never bet against Elon. Yeah. 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 Although the Tesla slot fell like massively. Okay? Yeah, but, I bet Bill Gates made a bunch of money on that. Yeah, but I wonder Finally. why though. I, I, I think it's because of this whole, uh, it's a Twitter. global, yeah, it's, it's this, I don't know, sentiment. I don't know why Elon is doing that. But maybe he has like grand scheme of, he has a bigger plan, right? That maybe in the short term, we don't see it. So um, anyway, um, that that was one of the solutions, right? Uh, which was solar geoengineering. The other thing is, um, the, the second thing that I really, that I found super interesting is this company that's called Carbfix. Have you heard of this, this company? Sorry, what's it called? Carbfix. Okay, no. So, uh, basically, uh, what this company does is that they capture the carbon dioxide that is being emitted at source, right? And then they convert that uh, through some process uh, into a carbonate water, which is basically sparkling water. And then they Uh pump that CO2 water uh, into the ground below the bedrock. And then they let it stay there for like six months or eight months. And then that CO2 water converts into rock. So basically the process of extracting oil is we drill the hole into the ground. We extract the crude oil and then we generate like fuel. And these guys are taking the emissions from the fuel and putting it back into the earth. That's crazy. That's, that's super cool. What's it called again? Sorry. Carbfix. C-A-R-B-F-I-X. Nice, nice. They okay. have uh, they have actually started doing this in Iceland um, since 2017. I think they're doing this, huh. uh, and basically, uh, you know, they are um, uh, they are doing this only in Iceland. Uh, and and by the way, did you know this that Iceland is the only country, or I think it's one of the few countries in the world that uses hundred percent renewable energy to power everything in the country. Wow, that's crazy, man. Like, although there are like very few folks out there, but still, yeah, nice. Yeah, dude, there is a there is a restaurant in Iceland that is totally run on geothermal energy. So they have this natural hot springs that comes out. So there is this guy who walks into the restaurant and then he's like, "I want this." He's basically like a 
he's a content creator so he goes behind uh, like to the kitchen and he tells the chef that hey i want this dish so this uh, the chef takes uh, the vegetables out chops it and takes the meat out chops it puts it in a bowl and keeps it on this hot spring and 2 minutes later it's boiling it's ready like it's cooked right and then he can do all the frying and everything after that you know that hotel yeah. is totally run on geothermal energy like that's hot springs crazy. that's crazy but like like iceland's population is only like 3.7 lakhs that is like bangalore itself is around like 1.2 crores right now it's 3.7 lakhs that's it that's it that's it even i was shocked i just googled it yeah but uh, to so, so power 3.7 lakhs is also you know still something you know it's it's a worthy effort sir yeah. definitely and hats off to them yeah that's crazy but uh, t- tell me more about this uh, carb fix um has there been any repercussions or any like why why has this not gone like mainstreamer because uh, there is no incentive right like to companies let's say i am i am uh, manufacturing uh, i am i have like let's say i'm manufacturing tires so i'm pull, emitting like shit ton of emissions out of that into the atmosphere now if there is no regulations if the government does not tell me that hey you cannot boss you cannot emit these many this much volume of emissions and you have to curb it at source i am not going to do it right unless i have ethically bound unless i am morally bound and i feel like oh shit you know i shouldn't be doing this no one's ever going to do it it takes a lot of money to set the whole thing up right um, and because there is no incentive people don't do it yeah yeah absolutely uh maybe it's good like you know maybe we'll bring it to light yeah uh, because of this but yeah like it, if it helps the environment like I, I don't see a reason why not. Yeah, government. Okay, it, it should come from the government, bro. You know these. It definitely things, has to. These yeah. initiatives have to be taken, and they have to be. Um, I don't know, like some kind of incentives, tax benefits, tax rebates have to be provided for doing this such things uh, by the government. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, there's like so many things that people can do, man. Uh, there's this. Uh, I think this Leonardo DiCaprio do- documentary. with uh, and then he goes to Elon's uh, giga factory and he's like yeah if you get like hundreds of these in like the world it's enough to power the world <laughs> and uh, i i don't think they'll allow one man to have so much power hundreds of what i didn't get that the giga factory what you is know, that so tesla has this uh, uh, giga factory mm-hmm. fact uh, like yeah. energy producing uh, factory basically i yeah. see like this bunch of solar and windmills that are out here in this giga factory yeah solar definitely solar but uh, yeah so basically they create these uh, batteries as well for the for the tesla cars and everything like that and elon literally said you just need 100 of this in the world and and it's enough to power the world right oh, now wow. That's crazy. So we just have to look at how much it emits and uh, what are the natural, like you know, uh, implications to it. And then if it's a net positive in terms of like you know uh, the initiative, good enough. But like you know, like uh, there's a lot of policies, there's a lot of uh, lobbyists in the background that don't allow this. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a little bit disheartening, dude. Like, I don't think there should be lobbyists, uh, you know, against environment and like against like these kind of things should 
it's our home right like we have no other they have nowhere else to lobby they can't go to mars or lobby right like they have to yet. be here yet but yet. yeah <laughs> but um, yeah that's that's one of the reasons why it's not there the other uh, thing is that um to for the car- that co2 water to solidify into rock it requires certain um, certain kind of conditions okay like deep under the earth uh, or else it will leak out right and that's again a problem right. you don't want that to leak out right so uh, it has to have certain types of rock uh, below the bedrock for that that are going to you know add the necessary minerals for the co2 to convert it into to convert into rock so right. it is found in certain it's it's actually uh, abundantly available but it is not like available everywhere right so not all factories and not it can it can't just be put everywhere so you need to have certain pipelines or certain kind of some mechanism to like collect all that co2 water bring it into one place and then like kind of tunnel it deep inside right so there requires there is some level of infrastructure effort as well or there are mm-hmm. some challenges at the infrastructure level as well right. you know that yeah. needs to be combated yes so that's uh, that's carb fix right um mm-hmm. and then there is this one other very interesting company that i found which is called mm-hmm. uh, carbon engineering okay uh, bill gates and i think dicaprio also invested into this uh, whole approach and this this thing is called ccs it's carbon capture and storage okay so carb fix is basically telling hey don't even emit right we are even before you emit we will capture all of it we will put it into the ground so it's it, it's that right. closed loop right there right yeah can, can i ask you a question how do they capture the carbon so out of the emissions that come mm-hmm. right like yeah. from the gas they separate through some chemical process they separate out the carbon dioxide and then they add water to this carbon dioxide and make it into this carbonate water so now this right. water is then pumped under under pumped the, into yeah the thing okay yeah. so i assume like a lot of like high pressure stuff was is supposed to require like in a certain amount of pressure and conditions then it'll convert into water correct correct uh, uh, yeah convert into such co3 water carbonate water based that's sparkling water right <laughs> yeah it's uh, it, it is it is working actually in this factory in iceland uh, i'm not able mm-hmm. to like think of this name i don't remember the name uh, but yeah it is they are um, uh, doing it and it is uh, mm-hmm. you can if you go to the website of carbfix you will see that that um, the meter that's spinning that calculates how much ton of co2 has been uh, prevented from escaping prevented. the atmosphere yeah wow that's nice yeah. that's nice yeah it's a very feel good um moment when you look at it yeah absolutely mm. so so yeah that's um, so carbon engineering right so a bunch of people have invested so carbfix is telling that hey we will curb it at the very start uh, even before it goes into the atmosphere carbon engineering is this company who's mm-hmm. what they're saying is that so according to this paris agreement that happened a few years ago um they said that like it was decided that if the global temperature exceeds 1.5 degrees celsius um you know it's going to be catastrophic right uh, we just do you know uh, we will lose a lot of animals and it's just going to be chaotic so um uh, carbon engineering says that hey if if we have to like limit our 
global mean temperature increase to 1.5 degree celsius we can't just prevent the emissions that are currently happening because we've already done enough damage to the atmosphere what we should do is basically suck out the carbon that is there in the atmosphere um, and make the air cleaner uh, or like or decrease the concentration of co2 in the atmosphere and that's the only way in which we'll be able to like solve this problem so basically carbon engineering has built this giant fans they have this huge suction um you know setups that suck in the air and then they through like some process they filter out just the co2 uh and then they you know they they get this very pure pure form of co2 and then they can basically you know mix it with water and uh, you know they can just do a bunch of things with it right right uh the thing is that uh carbon engineering is doing this as a company like they have this product that absorbs uh stuff from the atmosphere uh but then there is no business model here if you really think about it right like okay great you have this machine that works but like what do we got to do with it right <laughs> yeah uh from a business standpoint um so uh, a lot of these companies that are telling that hey you know we are carbon neutral or we are moving towards carbon neutrality they uh, pay carbon engineering right they're like hey take this amount for us so basically what what carbon neutral is let us say i as a company am emitting 100 units of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere through the entire process that i am operating on uh, i will spend money and absorb back that 100 units of carbon from the atmosphere so basically i have emitted zero units of like carbon into the atmosphere and that is be carbon neutral right so these companies um uh, all these oil companies and microsoft is also one of them so they pay carbon engineering they fund carbon engineering basically to excuse me to absorb the air back into the uh, uh, to absorb co2 back right from the atmosphere right right that's cool man So there's this uh, company, and uh, basically, I met this guy a uh, couple of years ago during a Champions League final in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was no space, so we got a table together, and then I spoke to him. He worked for this company called the Carbon Trust. Okay, and it's a UK-based company, and basically, what they do is they uh, they're kind of um, consultants. Okay, so they're basically a consultant towards like these MNCs and all that, and how to be a bit more uh carbon neutral so their goal is to become like a carbon neutral uh world and they do this by like you know consulting mncs companies governments like whoever they can find and before like around like 2 3 years ago they were like government back and now they've just gone private they've raised some funding and they're just going all around the world and like you know they're consulting people on this hmm. so it's really cool like there are quite a lot of companies that are into this space and uh, you know it's also good like you know if it's some sort of a business because then it incentivizes both parties to like you know like especially in the environment space you know they have to just go around begging they have to like keep getting money and like whatever like funds and uh, grants and those kind of things uh, for you know keeping the company alive so if you can like sell a service that helps in positivity it's great Yeah one of the things that carbon engineering is doing with their carbonated water is they right. they have partnered with Coca-Cola 
and they're giving it to Coca-Cola to manufacture their aerated drinks, aerated beverages. And I think this is already happening in some plant in Europe. Oh shit, man. That's super cool. Yeah. Because the moment you have a business model, it's, it is very, that, that is sustainable. Like you can do something, Mm -hmm. something with it. The other thing they're doing is there is a farm. I'm not able to remember where, but in Europe somewhere there is a farm. It's an indoor mm-hmm. farm, and they require intense amount, huge amounts of carbon dioxide because it's a closed, uh, uh, closed uh, enclosure, right? So they are supplying the CO2 to this particular farm so that plants can grow and stuff. So they are trying to find avenues that uh, and industries that are heavily dependent on CO2, uh, you know. And the moment that happens. Um, carbon engineering can be can become a good thing that's that's nice man. that's nice i'm I'm so glad you chose this uh topic today it was really nice yeah i i was also very happy that the like of course we have all this renewable stuff and all these things that are out there but then these are actual real groundbreaking innovations that are happening dude like think of mm-hmm. uh you know throwing particles in the air this is so you wouldn't like think that wouldn't be your first thought of like how to fix it, but people are trying so hard. They're trying such innovative and novel approaches. Even if it's a mm-hmm. bit risky, they are not afraid to try it out. You know, uh, yeah. that, that is what I found really interesting. Even carp fix for that matter. Like what a brilliant idea that, you know, Hey, we will just dump it into the ground. We'll let earth take, like we'll let nature take the course. Right. And we'll, yeah, we'll convert we'll convert a CO2 into a rock. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That's so cool. Yeah. That rocks. <laughs> that, yeah, that does rock. That's really cool, yeah. dude. So, yeah, it, it, it was fun. It was fun researching about it and like studying about it. Yeah. yeah. You should have told me that I would have told you to go watch uh, The Inconvenient Truth. I think you'll definitely watch that tonight. For sure. Yeah. I'll it's watch too it. good. It's yeah, too good. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to talk about was um, F1 2013 Net Zero. You would have seen it, right? Really? Oh. Yeah. They have been Damn. like broadcasting it like crazy in all their races, in like all their events. They're just telling, hey, we're going to go Net Zero by 2030. Aramco will be unhappy. Dude, Aramco is one of the companies that is working on driving, helping getting to Net Zero. I know I was I was sarcastic. Uh, obviously, the biggest <laughs> oil company in the world has to have a stake in this. Yeah, you know what they're doing though. Aramco is providing them with bio biofuels. Oh, okay. The biofuels like how we do it in India. What biogas? Uh, yeah, like not literally that level. Obviously, it's like a much much higher grade at like it's F one level. Uh, but- Acha. <laughs> and not like I thought uh, well, <laughs> cow dog scene will see in the side of F1 <laughs> there'll be a cow as a on the, cow as a sponsor and all <laughs> <laughs> powered by but uh, powered by yeah. but yeah like they're using corn I think corn and sugarcane and they're using that to come up with um I think they've already started using it, if I'm not wrong. Since 2021, they've started using biofuels. They use this fuel called as E90, I think, which is um, 90% gasoline and 10% ethanol. And they try to find this right balance of biofuel. And what did I say? 90% um, 90% gasoline and 10% ethanol. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they try to find yeah. this right balance between 
how much of gasoline and how much of um, this biofuel you'll require. Biofuel is nothing but ethanol. Right? So how much of that you'll require uh, such that your emissions are like the lowest possible extent to the lowest possible extent. That's nice, man. That's but one yeah, of the one of the interesting things is that um, I was just looking at this whole F1 2030 document that uh, they had put up on their website. And uh, what I found was that um, the emissions that happen on track and uh, during the races is just 0.7% of the total emissions that F1 does throughout the race calendar. Oh, like you mean each tra- each race? No, like all races combined, all drivers oh. combined, all days combined, like fr- fr- Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's just okay. 0.7% of the total emissions that happens. Like 99.3% emissions come from other uh, types of activities that F1 does. And one of the biggest chunks is logistics. You know, like moving oh, yeah. the cargo from one place to the other and um, yeah. shipping, obviously, air, airlifting, shipping. Mm-hmm. All of these are like, you know, that, that contributes 44% of the total emissions that F1 does. And it is yeah. one of the most... Um, polluting sports um, that is out there. You know? uh, yeah, man, definitely. Because they have to use the same car. They have to take the same, like, you know, the uh, engine and everything around the world. Uh, yeah, and one day we should do, like, a proper supply chain deep dive on how this route happened and all that. Yeah. Because that that itself is, like, a yeah. deep topic. Because, like, you know, the way the entire calendar is done is based on this. Yeah. It's super cool. Dude, I was I was just thinking about this. So basically, what happens in F1 is that it hap- like for people who don't know what how F1 works is that there are like twenty three or twenty five races in a single race season. A race season is one year, and these twenty five races happen in different parts of the world, right? So you start right. right from Australia, and then you go across the globe. You go across Europe, and then you go to North America. Then you come to South America, and then you end up in the Middle East. Right, which yeah. is Abu Dhabi. That's the final race that happens. So this yeah. is 23 races and all the cargo and everything, all the cars, all the equipment, everything has to move from one race to the next. Right, And these races happen um, once every week or maybe like once in two weeks, depending on like how, uh, uh, the, depending on the distances between the venues, the yeah. racing yeah. venues. Right. Yeah. So if it and is 20 cars, they have to take 20 cars. Yeah. 20. And I'm sure each car, each uh, team has one spare car at least. You know, if yeah. like some major accident happens, they need to be ready with like a new car. Right. So I'm sure it'll be like 20 plus like some buffer, maybe like 10 more. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at least. Absolute. Right. So this is a lot of travel that is happening in this because in the sport. And that is why, you know, logistics is such a big, big chunk uh, of the uh, that is contributing to F1's uh, total carbon emissions. Uh, but here's what I was thinking, dude, Yash. Um, there are these certain, I get it that you need to have engine and like front wing and chassis and whatever. These are like super critical. You need to like move them from one race to the next, right? And they keep working on design changes, upgrades, etc. So... You need to have that thing in every single race, right? Uh, And it has to be moved, right? But Mm -hmm. there are these certain other um, elements in the race, like, for example, your chairs, your, uh, you know, your maybe a communication system, certain wires. Now, these are the things that also move, 
okay and they move across different parts of the globe right? right now f1 is such a huge sport like if you i mean you would have seen in marina bay like it is nothing that is there and then overnight in like a week or so it just becomes into like this f1 grand prix um yeah. uh, you know you get that feel all together right like mm-hmm. there is there are no trucks there is no uh, you know team buses whatever and then oh, they just built everything from ground up right yeah when they have that level of technology and that capability to build so much from nothing uh, they should probably i i i think they should probably consider holding these non essential non critical items at the race mm-hmm. venues itself you know like pay the pay the track certain amount whatever be like hey you know this is one of our um one of our approaches to reduce the logistics that we are doing and don't move yeah. all these non essential things every single race just keep them where they are next race next year you come you build it up take it down and let it be there right why do you yeah, want to be there yeah why do you want to move it across europe for example just have it in every single race track that is out there like you would prevent so much of road emissions by just doing that yeah at least the weight weight that they are uh, tra- like tra- that's traveling every day or every week is reduced by yeah. substantial amount yeah by a substantial amount yeah that i think that's one of the things they should genuinely consider because you have so much scope to like reduce emissions then you'll just be moving around the critical parts and you just mm-hmm. anyway airlift it there is no way in which you're going to take it via road or whatever right you ha- you yeah. are going to airlift it so fine diamond you what is unavoidable understandable but then what you can avoid which is these kind of things just try and do it i i know there is a part of the car that is uh, taken by road I've seen some videos of like you know people randomly finding the F1 truck where the car is just being taken by road. Oh, <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, man, uh, definitely. But uh, you know what can happen as well. Like I think, um, I think they would have definitely thought of this. And obviously, like you know, people find <coughs> loopholes that they can you know exploit. And F1 is a very ruthless sport. Okay, it is an expensive and ruthless sport. so definitely we should like pro- do a proper deep dive into this i i i i'm fascinated by it and your solution obviously seems viable because you have obviously transported uh, race vehicles <laughs> in the past okay you have literally built a race race car at one point of time so you uh, you already know a lot more than me uh, but yeah super interesting man yeah yeah and uh, one other um, element la- the last element that i want to touch on in this um, f1 2013 net zero is uh, the emissions that are emitted uh, that emissions coming from the um from the uh, guests and audience who are attending the grand prix should also be considered and what f1 is doing right now is uh, by 2025 they are um, incentivizing um the or the guests who are coming um if they adopt like green approaches to visit the track which is maybe like public transport or which is by walk so if you're doing all of mm-hmm. this uh, so basically you show your bus ticket and then you get like certain benefits uh oh shit man maybe nice. like some kind of refund or whatever mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah that's uh that's super cool man yeah. uh incentivizing the public for good behavior is always the best yeah 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 i just thought uh, this pretty cool uh, you know this whole net zero thing and um we should definitely consider deep doing a deep dive on this but i have like so many points that i can yeah. think of right away um 
can I tell you something? Can I tell you while we're on the topic of F1? Okay, they don't just move the cars. They don't just move the banners and the marketing stuff and all that. Okay, or the people on the drivers. They there's even an exclusive club that travels with them. Okay, there's this one club that only like it's just there during the F1 time. Okay, very limited people get entry. I don't even know the name. I forgot the name actually. Okay, but that's there every single place that there is an F1 race of the weekend. And it's only there for the weekend and it's done after. A club so, yeah. as in like a, a party house. Party club, baby. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very exclusive, very tough to get in, very bougie, very classy. So yeah. I think I think if I'm not wrong, when I was in Singapore, when I went for the Grand Prix, I saw it from outside. Mm. Okay. But I was dressed like a hobo compared to everyone else. So <laughs> definitely not getting it. And also it was like I think two thousand dollars cover. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> No, thank yeah, you. One lakh, one lakh cover. Yeah. Oh, it's the Singapore dollars. Singapore dollars. Mm. All you guys, bro, you guys cover some, Singapore. Some big difference it is. Okay, dollars is dollars. Okay, okay. $2,000 uh, is a lakh. Done. Y'all come to Singapore, I'll be like dollars. Everybody in the world would think it's USD. Everybody. Apart fine, from Singapore fine. people. <laughs> fine. Okay, that's six, that extra, what, eight to the 16. 16. 60,000. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> Singapore, do a better job. Okay. Increase your currency value. Come on. Here people think you're cheap and all. Like, oh, Singapore dollars. I can spend it. <laughs> Recycle the toilet water better. <laughs> no, so so with that water, so they, they are literally planning on replacing that Malaysia water that's coming in with this water. Yeah. Like that's one of the plans. Yeah. Dude, I, we should figure out ways to remove salt, man. Like I was just, um, I was just watching this comedy, um, uh, this, com- I don't know, some show. And in that, this guy, this guy goes like, you know, with three fourths of the earth is filled with water. Like, what are you saying? We have a water problem. We don't have a water problem. We have a salt problem. You know, remove oh, the salt good. and we just have like an unlimited resource of water that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, nobody has figured out how to take the salt out. Yeah, yet. Or maybe I... it is happening and we just don't know because, um, you know, mafia. Hmm. So I, I vaguely remember and obviously here you should know that I am a commerce student. Okay. I just did a few science experiments as a as a kid in science class. So we, we had this, uh, we got this tap water out and then we started boiling it. And then we put this thing and a tube that's that goes to another beaker mm-hmm. and the water evaporated and all the salt stayed and the water that went into the <laughs> new beaker was without salt. Scientists, <laughs> here's the solution. <laughs> I just... <laughs> If only, like, yeah, that's it. So some random business student solves your biggest science problem of the 20th century. Uh, apply heat. What are you guys thinking? <laughs> so, I mean, right, right. Okay, how, okay. And then, like, obviously you'll need a lot of electricity or something like that. Or, or, how does a diesel engine work? You're the engineer. Okay, you apply pressure. And then you don't need a spark plug. Okay, the pressure creates the heat. 
Okay, so maybe we can do something similar around that. Am I am I using my applications uh, of science right? Oh, the Magnum is doing its magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just so you guys know, I had I had a beer before this. So. <laughs> New Year's. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we should consider this, bro. High pressure. Let's go. <laughs> they should I will come back with a applic- uh, proper application and a solution to this. Okay. In the next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If 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 we can figure this out, I'll be a billionaire. If I can figure this out. Okay, so done. Watch now. I will do research on this. Did you did you always have the plant in the background or did you just get the plant? Oh shit, there's a plant. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, wasn't there, right? Before? No, it wasn't there. It's it's literally in the middle of the room. It's not even like <laughs> Yeah. <It's, laughs> yeah. That's a door, right? It's it's in the middle of a door. <laughs> <laughs> oh what? What were you thinking? Did he just give up on the way? Like, were you supposed to move it from <laughs> And midway, you're just like, oh, no, I'm done. Look, no, I was uh, I was filming shorts in the morning. Uh-huh. And uh, apparently, it just, like, the camera angle was a bit different. So, it just shows, like, I have a plant above my shoulder. It doesn't show the rest of the room because shorts are only, like, this much. 16 by 9. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice story, man. <laughs> Yeah, so that's with um, that's with um, the whole um, Zika virus, uh, not Zika virus. What was that? Zombie virus. Zombie virus. Zombie yeah. virus and um, you know greenhouse emissions. That's all I got. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Did you have fun. Cool. Yeah, man. I love this. I love this episode. This was so nice. Yeah. Right. 